Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Amen. If you want to, you can turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, that's where we're going to start. And then we're going to jump to 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, these are the readings for today, and uh, I'll get to it in a minute. I, was, um, I picked up my son from school the other day, and as we were driving home, uh, well, he, this is technically not a good thing to show you because he didn't do the work during class. And so when I show you this, it's blank because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. But it led us to a discussion about the sun and the moon, which, you know, it's amazing being a parent and thinking you should know the things that your eight-year-olds come home from school with. Um, and it's humbling because you don't. And, um, and I remember talking to him about the sun, and I'm driving home, and it's a short drive. It's a short, it's not a long drive, but we're driving home, and I, I, I had this, like, moment, this epiphany. And it, I think it'll change your life. Because for about 15 seconds, it changed mine. And here it is. Are you ready? This, this little sun-moon conversation got me. And I had this realization. I go, Kaysen. He goes, yeah. He goes, you don't have to yell. I said, Kaysen, do you realize something? He goes, what? I said, there is a floating ball of fire above our heads right now. Isn't that amazing? No, there is. I'm, I'm sorry. You guys act like that's just normal. Like it wouldn't freak you out if you didn't already know this. But there is legitimately a ball made of fire and lava floating above. And the least we do, the, like all we ever say about it is, well, the sun came out. I, I hope the sun comes out. I, I, hope, I hope this ball of fire, millions of light years away, like does what it's been doing for a while and, he, and doesn't crash into the earth. And doesn't, I'm sorry, that seems to be like really, really amazing. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Peter Rabbit, the original. Favorite character in that movie, the rooster. Right? And he goes, the sun came out again and he freaked I can't believe it I thought last night surely was the last night when it went dark that I would ever see the sun but it came out again and he says it just like that I promise I watched it multiple times trying to figure out if I could show it this morning but it is interesting sometimes that the things that are most amazing the things that should cause us wonder and awe they should leave us speechless they should, they should make us wake up every morning going, I cannot believe this is happening again. Those things we grow really familiar with. So when I told you there's a big ball of fire floating above your head, you're all like, yeah, that's, it's been doing that. But I actually looked up the definition. What, what is happening? Well, the sun is, I know, you guys are like, yeah, I knew this. I learned this when I was eight. I filled out the paper. I, I still remember that work. Our sun is a star, a hot, glowing ball of hydrogen and helium at the center of our solar system. The sun is about 93 million miles from Earth, and without its energy, I just, like, seriously, without its energy, life as we know it could not exist here on our planet. I'm just saying, I'm going to say it again, and I want to give you an opportunity to, to recapture the wonder of the fact that this morning the sun came out again, which is it's kind of a bad way of saying it, but regardless, there is a floating ball of hydrogen and helium that is on fire, full of lava, 
that is floating above you, allowing you today to live. Thank you. See, see, here's the thing. We can come to Scripture, and we can walk into church, and we can come into some of these stories of Jesus, and we can come into some of these moments, and we can read certain words that maybe we've read before growing up in church, or, or we've heard on, on some, uh, uh, some preacher stage, and we've, we've heard all these statements, we've heard all these things, and we can come into them, and we can bring this familiarity that makes the wonder fade. And we can read these stories over and over and over again. And because of kind of the way we approach life, we can get into a space and a place where the very things Jesus believed would cause wonder and awe just kind of, huh, yeah, that's how we do. That's just how life is. Yeah, it's been doing that for a while. I've read that word and that phrase and that scripture several times, or at least I've heard my Christian friends say it. And instead of it causing wonder, instead of it causing awe, it just kind of is a thing we figure is true. And in fact, to some degree, we've, we lessen what it can mean and how it can impact the way we do our regular everyday life. Now, I'm not one to say that every day needs to have some walk on water miraculous moment. I believe there is the miraculous in the mundane. Peter, Peter sailed on water Far more than he ever walked on it. And so did Jesus, by the way. But that in and of itself also is miraculous. If you look at all the different dials you have to turn to make sure this earth keeps doing what it's doing and you keep breathing like you're breathing, you just turn one the wrong way, the whole thing goes kaput. I don't even use the word kaput, but it felt necessary. You, 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 if you just turn one little thing, all of a sudden the axis or the, way, the speed at which we're, all of these things, if they just change a little bit, everything changes. And I believe the words of Scripture, the things that Jesus is trying to teach us as He lives out His life and try to show us are also types of things and patterns and rhythms and ways in which we should live our life that should cause wonder and awe. Paul David Tripp wrote a book, and it's just called Awe, A-W-E. That's all it's called. And I can sum it all up for you. You can go read it if you want, but every chapter is about the same thing, just in a different category, and that is simply this, that our struggle as humans is that we've lost our sense of wonder. We've lost our sense of awe. That we, we have forgotten how big and good and great God is. We've, we've forgotten how amazing it is to be in a community of people that all come from different backgrounds and different experiences and have different stories and have different opinions on all the things that are going on in our world. And yet, under the name of Jesus, we can become the body of Christ. I want to read a quote from... Judith Jones, uh, she says this, it's about the story we're about to read in Luke chapter 4, and let me just read this to you. She says this, the sermon at his hometown synagogue encapsulates the message that he has been teaching in synagogues throughout Galilee. Although the people of Nazareth marvel when they hear him, they misperceive who he is. To them, Jesus is merely Joseph's son. Would you listen to this word, this little phrase, blinded by familiarity. They do not recognize that before them stands the Son of God. Can we get so familiar with Scripture, with Jesus, the written Word that points to the living Word, 
Can we get so familiar with some of these things that we miss the grandeur and the wonder, that we become blindly familiar? So let's go into Luke chapter 4, and let's, let's read this. Let's put our eyes on Jesus, because Jesus is our pattern. We say that here in our church. Yes, he's our living God, and yes, he's our Messiah, and yes, he's our Savior, but we also believe that he came and lived and walked among us to show us, and one author says it like this, that Jesus was God's ideal for humanity. That his desire was that everyone would live and walk as Jesus did. We're going to get into that in a moment, but we believe that as we watch Jesus and read about Jesus and look upon Jesus, that we can become more like Jesus, and he gives us a pattern, a rhythm in which to live our lives. Everything he does, I really truly believe this, everything he does, he was doing one to establish his identity on the earth and who he was and what he was up to, but also, also, to give you a model and a pattern of what he believed you could be in the power of the Holy Spirit and as you put your eyes upon him. Okay, so Luke chapter 4, it says this. Verse 14, we're going to read through 21. It says this, Then Jesus returned. Everybody say returned. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being acclaimed by everyone. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, everybody say as usual. Per usual, Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember that up-down motion? We talked about this, that as we lift up Jesus, the Spirit comes down upon our life. That's just a pattern, a rhythm of our life. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom to the captives he has, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll. This is the, one of the shortest sermons he ever gives. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed upon him. This is a very, very, very important section of Scripture. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this Scripture has been fulfilled. Jesus uses this moment to return. Now, if you're reading in Luke chapter 4, just a, a heads up, between verse 13, where we're talking about him being baptized and him coming out of the wilderness, it, it, between verses 13 and 14, most theologians believe there was like at least a six-month to a year-long gap. I know when you read it, you read it like it's just, it's just like super quick. Verse 13 to 14, it happened same day, at least, at least within a couple days. But there's a good gap between here that Jesus goes away and he does other ministry. That's why, that's why he's already getting people. When he shows back up in Galilee, he's already got people showing up and, and wanting to hear what he has to say. But this word return, I don't know if you remember this, but just before uh, we kind of had to shut the world down in March of 20, man, 2020, right? Okay. Um, uh, we had done this, this pattern called withdrawal and return. The idea being that we would withdraw, like Jesus did often, to look upon Jesus, that we would be able to return looking more like him. Maybe another way to say that is to withdraw in prayer and to return with power. Okay, power of a train. Just joking. There you go. Just trying to make it less awkward for you. We would withdraw to see Jesus and return looking more like him. And I want to I just encourage you. You should do more returning in your life. Because what it means is that you've also left. 
And one of the great things you can do, I was talking with someone at lunch the other day, and, and one of the goals they had that this year that they would establish a better Sabbath in their life, a day of rest. Just remember, uh, you aren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for you. It is given to you as a gift, as most commands are. We hear command, and we think, oh, someone's telling me what to do. Just like a doctor telling you, here's how you get healthy, Jesus gives us these commands. Even some of the weird ones in Leviticus. If you look at them, those are, that's exactly what the sanitation officer would do if he showed up at your restaurant. No, you need to get, you need to stay outside for at least a week and then you can come back. Jesus gives us, God gives us these things that would create health and life in us. And so one of the concepts, one of the patterns of Jesus is to withdraw, to get away, to step outside the noise, to look upon Jesus, and then to return. And it says that Jesus returned under what? The power of the Holy Spirit. Luke tends to talk a lot about this. Luke, who also authored the book of Acts, talks a lot about uh, the Holy Spirit. For Luke, Jesus was a man primarily of the Spirit, as one commentary says. Not surprisingly then, the key turning points in Luke's two-volume story, Luke and Acts, are initiated by the Spirit particularly Jesus' birth in Luke 1.35, baptism, Luke 3, temptation in Luke 4, and the start of his ministry where we are right now, Luke 4.18. The beginning of Acts in Acts 2 and the story of the beginning of the mission to the Gentiles in Acts 10 are also marked by experiences of the Spirit. Luke is emphasizing for us something that is critical to those of us who walk with Jesus. And that is to receive the gift he promised to the disciples that when I ascend, the Holy Spirit would descend and then you can get on with what I've called you to do. There is a life, Paul emphasizes this over and over and over in his epistles. What does he say? He says things like, I am, I am led by the Spirit, right? That I do not walk by faith, but I walk by, I, I do not walk by sight, but I walk by faith. I walk in, I live and breathe and move in him. I am led by the Spirit of God. And what is Luke really trying to emphasize as he talks about Jesus? That Jesus also was. That Jesus is, again, setting a model and a pattern for you and I to live according to, to live under that we would be people led by the Spirit. That the Spirit of God would lead us into places, lead us into relationships, lead us into situations where you and I can bring heaven into earth. And it says that he was, he was there. He comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it says this, and as usual, as usual, he shows up in the temple. Like, I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus, I'd be like, yeah, I can have a personal relationship with him. Like, I don't need to be there because I can kind of just talk to him. I can, I can do my own thing and I'm, I'll be good. But Jesus, for some reason... Maybe, again, I'm going to harp on this all day long, maybe just giving us a rhythm to life. That be amongst people. And no, I don't think that's because the church is perfect and the person sitting to your right will never make you upset and never hurt your feelings. But because it's in relationship, even in some of these relationships that cause some pain and challenge, where we begin to discover the depths of the goodness of God, where we begin to understand what forgiveness is, where we begin to understand what healing and reconciliation can look like, when we begin to understand what the fruit of the Spirit is actually for, joy and peace and patience and kindness. You know, that gift is not just for you to be kind to yourself. There's, there's something here that Jesus is showing us that we would be with him often. William Barclay says it like this. It was Jesus' habit to go to the synagogues on the Sabbath. 
There must have been many things with which he radically disagreed and which grated upon him. Yet he went. The worship of the synagogue might be far from perfect, yet Jesus never omitted to join himself to God's worshiping people on God's day. So here's Jesus, led by the power of the Spirit, beginning to share and speak, and everybody's showing up. And then he reads from Isaiah. He reads this verse. I want you to hear this verse and I want, because... As, as, as one author says, he is, he is giving his manifesto for his ministry. He is telling you what he's about to do on the earth. And, and, and he's being very clear, this is what's going to happen when I begin to do all the things I'm called to do. And I, want, I, I really would like you to consider, can you find yourself in this? Can you find yourself in these phrases? Can you find yourself in these words? Can you find yourself in his mission? He says, I've come to preach good news to the poor. Proclaim freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now when I say that and I tell you, can you consider finding yourself in it, here's what we will do typically in church. We will over-spiritualize what I asked you. You will immediately go, oh, blind, like blind in spirit. Like poor as in like poor in spirit, like like. I'm going to, I'm going to over-spiritualize it. And here's what we tend to do. We tend to over-spiritualize it for the sake of not having to deal with it externally. But Jesus is doing two things, and he usually is. It's rare that he asks a question that doesn't have a couple purposes. He was pretty good at that. Jesus is absolutely speaking to the inner and, and the depths of who we are when he's talking about the blindness, and he's talking about the healing, and he's talking about the brokenness, and he's talking about, when he's talking about the poor. Yeah, absolutely dealing with our soul and our spirit. But Jesus is also very much so speaking to the circumstances and situations of the people around him. How do we know this? Because Jesus actually went to the poor. And Jesus actually went to the blind. And Jesus actually went to the broken. And Jesus actually went to the hurting. He actually went to the people. He didn't stand up on a deal and go, on the inside of you, you're hurting. And on the inside of you, he did do that. But then he would come right off the hill. And what did he do? He'd go walk amongst all the people who were hurting, broken, blind. Who, who, who people around them figured, well, you're blind because you're sinful. You're blind because somewhere in your heritage, in your legacy, something was caused by you. You just got to deal with it or you got to figure it out. But Jesus is very much speaking to the systems in our world as much as he's talking about the soul in our, our lives. He's speaking to both. And so there's a, there's a level of this at which I don't find myself in it. And you may go, well, wait, so if I'm not blind and I'm not poor and I'm not, how do, is he coming to me? Well, of course he is because, again, he's got two layers. But what he's really doing in this moment, in this circle of people that are listening, they would have been sort of like this. It would not have been person on a stage. It would have been kind of this gathering of people and they would have been reading the scripture. He's trying to remind everyone in the circle, everyone in the room, Everyone that's made it to this part of the synagogue. Everyone that's made it past the outer courts where the Gentiles had to stay. Everyone who was allowed in because the poor and the hurting were out at, at, at the Lake Bethsaida or they were somewhere else at the gate, beautiful gate or they were somewhere relegated to their places and said, no, 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 you stay here. You don't come in. There's something not working here. And Jesus is reminding this inner circle of people that I have not come only for you. I've come from the poor you walked past. I've come from the sick you ignored. And like the Samaritan, the good Samaritan walking past the man 
I've come so that all who are hurting and broken could be picked up and brought to life. Why? Because heaven is not just a future and far place off. It is a present and real. It is, it is as real now. It's like we were singing this song, and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing these lyrics, and I'm going, man, I, I, hell, that very first song, hell lost another one. And we don't just mean like, we mean like right now. Because he's given us the gates, to the, the keys to the kingdom of what? Heaven. And the gates of hell will not prevail. And so wherever we go, we are meant to pray heaven on earth. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. There's a, one author, uh, Elizabeth Johnson says this. The word translated poor in Greek has to do with economic status as well as other factors that lowered one's status in the first century world. Factors such as gender, genealogy, education, occupation, sickness, disability, degree of religious purity. Jesus' mission is directed to the poor in the holistic sense of those who for various reasons are relegated to the margins of society. Jesus refuses to recognize these socially determined boundaries, insisting that these very outsiders are the special objects of God's grace and mercy. And then he says this line at the end. He says, and I've come to announce the year of the Lord's favor. Now that references, most believe, Exodus 25 references the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is every 50 years, as one author has called it, a radical, radical restoration. The year of the Lord's favor that Jesus proclaims is probably referenced to Leviticus 25, a year in which indentured servants... Even resident aliens were to be released. Debts were to be forgiven. Land and property returned to families who had leased or sold them. It was the year of radical restoration. And then Jesus looks at them and says, and right now, today, right in front of you, in this very moment, in the person who just read this to you, all of this has been fulfilled. See, we get so familiar with concepts and ideas, even when we come into Scripture, we read that whole blind thing. We go, I was once blind in spirit. Yeah, absolutely. But he's not just talking about that. It's why we read last week, 1 Corinthians 12. What does it say? You've been given gifts for what? The common good. You have been given uncommon gifts for the common good of people. God has placed you. Okay, so if Jesus is our pattern, this is great. Like, Jesus, you came so that you would fulfill, that you would do all these things, that you would, uh, that you would love the poor, that you, would, that you would heal the blind, that you would do all this. This is great, Jesus. I'm so happy that you have decided to do that. That's awesome. Thank you. And yet, if we really do believe that Jesus has come, that he might launch something from himself that continues even unto this day, then we have to begin to ask the question, how is the story of Jesus in Luke chapter 4 applicable to you and I? How does that come into our lives present day, right now, in the streets of Hearts in Fort Worth? How do we see Jesus here and now? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. A, a, a chapter that I would have always referenced as the, a chapter on the gifts of the Spirit. Same as 1 Corinthians 13, same as 1 Corinthians 14. Every time I would have read it growing up, I would have read it purely as a way to prove that the gifts of the Spirit are there, how to use the gifts of the Spirit, how to define the gifts of the Spirit, and I absolutely believe that to be true. But I told you this last week, and I believe this, that he's not introducing these gifts. He's not introducing the healing. He's not introducing discernment. He's not introducing them. If you listen to the way he talks about them, he's talking about them as though they're already being experienced. 
experienced. He doesn't come in and, and line for line to tell you what these things are. He kind of just says, here's what they are. They're here, and this is how you use them. And here's why they're here. But, but he's not, it's almost like there's something happening in the Corinthian church, and he's trying to bring some understanding as to why they're there. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 31, it says this. For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still is. It still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, no matter what it says, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. And if there were all the same part, where would the body be? Now there are many parts, yet one body. Do you feel like you're getting an idea of what he's really trying to emphasize as he talks about the gifts of the Spirit? Or you get like, if you just go back and read all of 1 Corinthians 12, you'll begin to understand what he's really trying to get at. So he says it again. Basically kind of repeats himself. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Make this personal, please. Don't just read this as, as Paul, like getting on to other people. Isn't that what we do? We read some of these and go, oh, yeah, he's definitely, oh, man, he is laying into them. I listened to someone talk about the Passion of Christ movie recently, and, and, um, and, and he had some complaints about it, one of which was that we got to demonize the people who killed Jesus. We walked away thinking, how dare they do that to my Jesus? As though there's no chance in the world that you or I would have found ourselves in that crowd. We, we, we love to make good people and bad people. Actually, I should have said good people and bad people, but I, did, I was trying to save you guys. But, but the, the, the delineation between good and bad runs straight through every single one of our hearts. So Jesus, so here's Paul going, you can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary, and those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our, our presentable parts have a better presentation, but our presentable parts have need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. Are you catching what Luke 4 and how 1 Corinthians 12 begin to tie in? I came for the poor, and God gave gifts to even the people you didn't think deserved it. Even the people you didn't think could have it, I gave it. Because I'm a generous God. And you all need each other whether you like it or not. And you can't say you don't. It's true that often the healing you need comes from the very thing that caused hurt. And I'm not necessarily saying the exact person. I'm simply saying the same. So many of us can walk away from the church going, the, hurt, the, the, the church hurt me. And that might be true. I don't devalidate that at all. But what I would also say to you is that more often than not, what I've found and what I've seen is that the greatest healing happens when someone finds that community and goes, I'm not sure I can, and then walks into it and experiences a healing and a fullness that they never knew. So here's, here's Paul. You, you've got, you, can't, you can't say that you don't need them. 
God has put the body together, giving greater honor to less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now here's the phrase. This is the summation of everything we're doing today. Now you are the body of Christ. I know there's another part of this. But I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear it the way I said it to my eight-year-old on Tuesday afternoon. You are the body of Christ. This is not just a good illustration. Paul is not just trying to go, let me see if there's a way to explain this. Paul is telling you as the bride, you are. This gets a little like, um, there's a, it gets a little mystical here, Okay. Paul is very much not just trying to go, oh, I nailed that illustration on Sunday. Paul is very much, and you see this throughout his writings, and Paul is hammering away this idea that you, the church, are. It's a plural word, you. You are the body of Christ, and each of you an individual member of it. It should cause us the same wonder and the same awe that a floating ball of fire above our heads should also cause. And it is the thing that the, that the world needs is not a church as a bunch of people going, I got gifts. It needs a bunch of people coming together going, we are the body. And within the body, I'm going to use those gifts. And I'm going to become the body of Christ so that I might fulfill the mission that Jesus says in Luke 4, that people might be healed, that blind eyes would see, that the poor would be lifted up of every category, that we would see all that he desired, and we would see the year of the Lord, the favor of God, that jubilee would happen now and forevermore, that people who were thrown out would be brought in, people who were brought low would be brought up, and that we, the body of Christ, the body of Christ, would be, to the earth, what Jesus was when he showed up. So then he begins, after this whole deal, then he begins to lay out. And God has placed these in the church. First apostles, prophets, he does seem to be ranking these. Don't try to like go, oh, I'm this, yeah, okay. Second prophets, third preachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, managing, various kinds of languages. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in our language? Do all interpret? He doesn't have actually answer the question, but it's a pretty clear, pretty clear thing. Do all of us do all of these things? No. But desire the greater gifts. Desire these things. Pursue these things, and I will show you an even better way. We celebrated last Monday Martin Luther King Jr. MLK Day, and, and he has, it's a, it's a famous one. I almost pulled from his letter from uh, Birmingham Prison, but, but I'm going to read the one that, that many of you already know, and I just want you to hear this. It's important. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, self-evident that all men are created equal. Now, I want to I say something. It's self-evident. But it doesn't just happen by itself. That is why, that is why we need the Holy Spirit to love better, to, to serve better, to, to lay down our lives for one another. 
I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Oh, here it is. Here's the, I, I did keep, keep it in there. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I feel like we just read something that sounds very similar. That when one is hurt, we're all hurting. When one is, is, has hope, we're all rejoicing. But we tie ourselves. I want to read a few verses that, uh, that Paul writes. At Romans 12.5, just check this out. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And he's not being just clever. He's trying to get you to understand. Listen to what he says. And each member belongs to all the others. That's pretty strong language. Ephesians 4, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. Colossians 3.15, as members of one body you were called to peace. Peace is the great characteristic of the kingdom of God. Here we are watching Jesus do what he does. And then Paul beginning to break it down as to what it looks like in you and I. Because there's not a single one of us that can be Jesus all by themselves. The great mystery of Jesus, the great power and beauty of Jesus is that he brings all men unto himself. He is distinct from the body, but he is not separate. Jesus holds a place that none of us can hold, and yet he brings us into a place where all of us can behold him together. That as he moves, we move. Where he goes, we go. To the poor, to the broken. Yes, both inwardly and outwardly. Sometimes both at the same time. As above, so below means that we, the body, the church of Christ, becomes in the earth what Jesus was in the earth. I believe there's gifts. I believe God has given us gifts, absolutely. I think it is very hard to argue with Scripture that there are not gifts of the Spirit. I think it's near impossible because I argued with my Bible teacher about that one time. And of course I was right. I probably didn't do it very well, but regardless. We, we've been given these gifts, but the only reason gifts get weird is because they're not done for the common good. The only time they get strange and kind of is when they're done for the aggrandizement of someone by themselves. Oh, I've got this gift. Oh, elevate me to the highest places. No, 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 no. You're a finger, dude. You're a toe. You're not the head. You're connected to him. So start acting like it. I believe some of you pray in other languages. I believe some of you prophesy. I believe some of you do all of them, right? Some of you are an incredible discernment. Some of you, some of you walk in amazing wisdom. Some of you have this servant heart and everybody serves. Don't, oh, don't do that. But some of you have this like extra level. Some of you have, like you open your table in ways nobody else can. And these are gifts so that we all, all together might look like Jesus. Together we would look like Jesus. Sometimes it takes a little while to learn our limbs. We have a, we have a young girl this morning 
wasn't walking last week, came in here walking, and she wouldn't stop walking. Anna and Gilbert's little girl, she's just walking. She had the biggest smile on her face. She's like, oh, my gosh, I did not know these did that. And listen, that's the reality. You don't get into a relationship thinking you already know. You get into a relationship knowing you got to figure it out. The worst thing you can do when you get married is go, okay, we're good. No, <laughs> no, no. You're getting married to figure it out. You're getting married to realize you don't know. We get into a relationship, and sometimes we walk away because it's uncomfortable. Well, I'm not even sure I know anyone poor. I'm not. Well, then expand the definition of the word a little bit to all the different classes and categories. Well, I'm not sure I know anybody who's blind. I don't, I don't. Well, find someone who's hurting. How many times do we miss an opportunity to prophesy because we just haven't looked up enough to see someone? How many times have we missed an opportunity to pray for healing just because we haven't considered what other people are going through? How many times have we missed an opportunity for people to see Jesus here in the earth because we've forgotten how wonderful and amazing it is to be the body of Christ, given uncommon gifts for the common good of people? We belong to each other, y'all. We belong to each other. And I'm sorry about that. I apologize that you have to take some responsibility for me. But my gosh, I love you. All of our inconsistencies, all of our bad text messaging habits, all of our, all of our personality traits in threes and fours and sevens and twelves. I don't know if it goes to twelve. It doesn't go to twelve. But I, whatever number you are, I, we belong to each other. And we've had people walk away because we, we didn't realize that the gift God gave you was not just for you. It wasn't for your title. It wasn't for your job description. It was for the common good of the people God put around you. See, the Holy Spirit shouldn't make you less relevant. It should make you more relevant. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to do a few things, and then we're going to pray. We're going to close in worship today. I want, you, I want you to just write down these four things that I want you to do this week. Number one, and this always has to be at the top of the list. So every time I make a list, which I don't normally preach with lists, but there it is. First one is put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus. Read Luke 4 again. Go read the Gospels. Always read the Gospels. Even in your one-year reading plan, always have the moment where you can read the Gospels because the story is Jesus is the living word that this written word testifies to. Jesus is the word. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Number two, Consider others. Who are those Jesus would have included that you have excluded? Who are those that, you, that Jesus would have considered that you have ignored? And I'm not trying to, this is not some one of those messages where it's like, get it together. Put your eyes on Jesus and you'll see people better. Don't go solve the world's problems. Just go find a neighbor who needs some help. Consider others. What does it look like to consider the people that were that Jesus says explicitly he came for? He came for all of us. He came for everything. But he wanted all of us to know he came for the ones we didn't think he did. Number three, pursue the gifts. Paul's pretty explicit about that. Don't be ignorant of these things. Go after these. 
pursue the greater gifts. Go, go after these things. If you're going, I don't know what these are. I don't know how they explain. That's fine. We'll talk more about that. And we can even have a conversation. Maybe join our alpha table that starts in a couple weeks. But, but, but pursue the gifts. And it is okay to start that pursuit by going, God, I don't get it. God, I don't understand. I've seen how some people have used it. And I've seen how some things have gone. And I'm not really sure how that's going to work. It's like, I, look, listen. The idea that just because someone used it badly means that I won't ever try it. I would have never bought a car. I've seen plenty of people, some of you are in this room, that have not used the car wisely. I saw you on the way to church today. But I'm also still driving a car. People can use things poorly and badly, and it doesn't mean they aren't good. So pursue the gifts. Pray for him. Ask God for him. You do not have to have some formulaic prayer. God, Holy Spirit, come. Give me the gifts you want to give me. I want them. I desire them. I want the uncommon gifts for the common good of people. And just watch. Just see. And then be bold enough to walk in him when he says go. And the last one. This is important. (laughs) Let's go back to Kaysen's homework. Just, would you just recapture the wonder? Would you get a little more unfamiliar with the things you think you know? Get a little more unfamiliar with the things that that you read and you hear. When you hear the word community, that doesn't just mean friendship. That means I belong to you, you belong to me. When you hear the word body of Christ, it means like legitimately. We're the body of Christ. We're connected. And your gift builds me and my gift builds you. And we become, like Ephesians 4 continues on to say, a dwelling place of the Lord. Yeah, you're the temple, but really, honestly, we're the temple. Yes, you are part of the body, but really, we're the body. He is. We are the dwelling place of God. Why don't you stand with me as we close in worship? I want to pray. I want to pray over that third one I gave you, just pursue the gifts. And I just want to pray that even today, as you're standing here, that that you would experience or walk in a new gift. I I want to do what Paul was doing. I don't want to have to, I'm not here to try to explain it all. I'm here to just kind of give you an idea of why it's there. You have it. You have it. Holy Spirit's in you. It's with you. When we see Luke talk about being filled, it's usually in a moment for a particular time. And I believe God can do that in you too. So I want you to just, Send your hands upwards if that's for you. Just lift your hands to heaven and just, I just want you to say one prayer that we pray. It's an ancient prayer. It's been around for a very long time. It's three words and it's so good. So, so good. I just want you to say this. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, right now, in every single person, You have given gifts. You are a gracious God who has given gifts even to those who don't believe they deserve him, even to those that believe they're the ones who are on the margins, even to those who feel like they're unseen. You have given gifts, and every single one of these beautiful, amazing people is equally necessary for the body of Christ. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give gifts 
that you would give gifts. That even right now, that you would give them gifts for the good. I believe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe Tuesday, maybe Thursday, when you're walking through the hallway at work, there's going to be a need. Just like Jesus responded to the miracle of Cana. A need. A need. And you're going to see it. And you're going to step into it as the body of Christ, as the representation of Jesus on the earth. Filled the power of the Holy Spirit to bring sight to the blind, to free the poor, to, to, to free the oppressed, to, to lift up the broken and the hurting. And you do not have to do it by yourself. Why? Because you're going to keep your eyes on Jesus. And as you keep your eyes on Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to fill you and move in your life. And you're going to consider other people. And you're going to see these gifts begin to work in your life. And just like every gift, you've got to work it out. You've got to figure it out. You've got to read the instruction manual. You've got to take some chances. And you're going to recapture the wonder because you're going to remember what God can do in you and through you. God, we pray for every person. Holy Spirit, come. Move in power. And we put our eyes on you. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who says, I need Jesus. Lord, I pray even now in this moment, they would simply say that in their own hearts. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I give my life to you, Jesus. I give my whole life to you. My needs, my wants, my desires, I give them to you. My sins, my failures, my excuses, I give them all to you. God, I pray that you would work in me. That as I drink from you, I would have rivers of living water. Lord, refreshing, renewing, overflowing life. We thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.